Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the OrthoBullets podcast. In today's episode, we covered the topic of syrinx and syringomyelia found under the spine section at orthobullets.com. Let's begin by reviewing some definitions. Syringomyelia is defined as a syrinx, which is a fluid-filled cavity within the spinal cord that progressively expands and leads to neurologic deficits. Syringobulbia is defined as a syrinx within the brainstem that leads to neurological symptoms. In terms of the epidemiology, remember that the prevalence of syringomyelia is about 8.4 cases per 100,000 people. Demographically, it occurs more frequently in men than in women, and it usually appears in the third or fourth decade of life. In terms of the pathophysiology, this usually results from lesions that partially obstruct CSF flow, which may include cranio-cervical junction abnormalities. Remember that more than 50% of these cases are related to Chiari malformations, which is where herniated cerebellar tonsils act as pistons obstructing the subarachnoid space at the frame and magnum, which creates pressure waves in the subarachnoid space with each heartbeat. Other causes of CSF flow obstruction include spinal cord trauma, which is found in 4-10% to of patients with spinal cord injury, and it may become apparent years after the injury. Spinal cord tumors, remember that 30% of patients with a spinal cord tumor develop a syrinx, and post-infectious, such as from meningitis, which is due to scarring from arachnoiditis. Conditions that are associated include developmental scoliosis. Remember that 25% to 80% of patients with syringomyelia may have scoliosis, and that neural axis malformations are found in 1.8 to 25% of patients which are initially diagnosed with idiopathic scoliosis depending on the case series and referral patterns. Other associated conditions include clipophile deformity and Charcot joints, which occur in less than 5% of patients with syringomyelia, and it most often involves the shoulder joint. Moving on to the presentation. For syringomyelia, symptoms usually begin insidiously between adolescence and age 45, and patients will eventually develop occipital headaches, which are sometimes exacerbated by Valsalva maneuvers, back pain, radicular pain, and neurologic deficits. Remember that syringomyelia often presents with a central cord syndrome. On exam, one may know asymmetric abdominal reflexes, asymmetric and or hyperactive reflexes, and asymmetric sweating, as well as spasticity. On motor exam, there may be asymmetric muscle bulk and weakness, and on sensory exam, there may be deficits in pain and temperature sensation in a cape-like distribution over the back of the neck. However, remember that light touch and position and vibration sensation are usually not affected. And there may also be lower extremity contractures and deformities, or scoliosis. For syringobulbia, symptoms are related to cranial nerve involvement. There may be tongue weakness and atrophy if the cranial nerve 12 is involved, sternocleidomastoid and trapezius weakness if cranial nerve 11 is involved, dysphagia and dysarthria if cranial nerves 9 or 10 are involved, and facial palsy if cranial nerve 7 is involved. In terms of imaging, radiography may demonstrate a relative lack of apical lordosis which may indicate the presence of a syrinx, and one should obtain a scoliosis series for evaluation of scoliosis. A CT is not applicable for characterization of the syrinx, only for any associated scoliosis. Remember that diagnosis of the syrinx is made by MRI, and one should obtain an MRI with gadolinium enhancement to rule out any associated tumors. Indications for an MRI in patients with scoliosis include an abnormal curve, such as a double curve or an apex left curve, neurologic deficits, infantile or juvenile age of onset, male gender with an atypical or large curve, and thoracic kyphosis greater than 30 degrees. In terms of the gross pathology, there may be a cavitation of the spinal cord gray matter, a syrinx in continuity with or adjacent to the central canal, and an inner layer of gliotic tissue. 
With regards to the differential diagnosis, make sure to think about hydromyelia, glioependymal cysts, myelomalacia, cystic tumors, and a persistent central canal. In terms of treatment, non-operative options include observation. This is indicated for asymptomatic non-enlarging syrinx, and most pediatric neurosurgeons recommend against prophylactic surgery. Remember that orthopedic management may include observation or bracing during neurosurgical and neurologic evaluations, but results of bracing are mixed. Operative options include decompression of the frame and magnum and the upper cervical cord with or without shunting. This is indicated for cranial nerve deficits, extremity motor weakness, cerebellar findings, and sensory deficits. The specific technique involves it being performed prior to spinal arthrodesis. And in terms of the outcomes, the effect of decompression on neurologic signs and symptoms is variable, but it is supported due to the propensity of deficits to progress. And there is some evidence which demonstrates neurosurgery alone may improve spinal deformity, but scoliosis is still likely to progress in large curves or in children greater than 8 years old. Another option is spinal fusion. This is indicated depending on the age of presentation and the curve characteristics. In terms of the technique, the timing of orthopedic intervention is debatable, and most recommend waiting 3 to 6 months after neurosurgical decompression. In terms of the complications related to syringomyelia, remember that in general these are the same as for idiopathic scoliosis, and there's an increased risk of neurologic deterioration including paralysis if a fusion is performed with undiagnosed syrinx. And lastly, with regards to prognosis, remember that the natural history of the disease is not well defined, and the prognosis depends on the degree of spinal deformity and neurologic deficits, and multiple authors report resolution or improvement in the searing size and neurologic deficits. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to searings and syringomyelia, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 62-year-old woman has loss of function of her left shoulder and dull pain. She denies any history of trauma and there were no previous surgical procedures. MRI scans of the shoulder are obtained, which demonstrate neuropathic arthropathy. The etiology of this pathology is most likely confirmed by which of the following? And the answer choices are, choice one, genetic screening. Choice two, routine serum electrolytes and CBC count. Choice three, whole body bone scan. Choice four, MRI of the brain and cervical spine. Or choice five, CT scan of the abdomen and pelvis. The best answer to this question is, choice 4, MRI of the brain and cervical spine. Neuropathic arthropathy of the shoulder is an uncommon diagnosis that often presents on radiographs with advanced degenerative findings on both sides of the joint, with relatively minor pain complaints. Function is often significantly compromised due to the loss of conforming joint surfaces. MRI of the brain and cervical spine will often reveal a type 2 Arnold Chiari malformation, a searing of the cervical spinal cord, or both. Recognition of this as a neuropathic problem is imperative to avoid inappropriate surgical management of the shoulder with rotator cuff repairs or primary arthroplasty. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. The AP radiograph of a 5-year-old boy demonstrates a 20-degree left thoracic scoliosis. He was noted by his pediatrician to have asymmetry on a forward bend test. On exam, he is neurologically intact except for decreased sensation on the lateral aspect of both flanks and to pinprick in both hands. He has no pain. What is the best initial step in treatment at this time? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Observation Choice 2. Initiate bracing Choice 3. MRI scan of the entire spine 
or choice 4, spinal instrumentation with growing rod construct. The best answer to this question is, choice 3, MRI scan of the entire spine. This patient has atypical scoliosis given his young age and left thoracic curve. In addition, he has abnormal neurologic findings. MRI scan to evaluate for neural axis abnormalities is indicated. Abnormal MRI findings are present in 2 to 3.8% of all patients with presumed idiopathic scoliosis. Abnormal MRI findings are more likely if specific clinical factors are present, such as absence of thoracic apical segmental lordosis, atypical curve pattern, an abnormal neurologic exam, male gender, and age younger than 11. In a patient with an atypical curve and neurologic indicators, the yield of MRI scan for a neuroaxis abnormality has been shown to be 25%. This patient had both syringomyelia and a curie malformation that were treated neurosurgically. Observation would have missed these findings. Bracing or spinal instrumentation may eventually be treatment options for scoliosis given his young age, but establishing a diagnosis first with an MRI scan of the spine is the most appropriate initial step. That's all for this review about syrinx and syringomyelia. We hope that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session from OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on orthobullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the OrthoBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the OrthoBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.